Good morning, Westside Family Church. Obviously, my, my mother's here today. <laughs> it's good to be back with you. I'll tell you the story a bit later at the end of the service. I'm so excited you're here. Got a couple things to talk about, very important things before we dive uh, into the message today. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to begin a six-week series on the book of Proverbs. And we've chosen this because we feel like at probably no other time in our lifetime have we needed God's wisdom to uh, navigate all the craziness in our world. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's right out of the book of Proverbs that contains 31 chapters. And so over the next six weeks, starting next Sunday, we're going to be teaching through the six main topics that are covered in Proverbs. The first one is the fool. Yeah. You might want to bring someone you know. <laughs> Number two is the sluggard. You know, might be hard to get them here. Number three is the words we speak. Number four is friends. Number five is uh, family. And number six is life and death. Those are pretty big topics. And while we're covering these over six weeks, uh, there's an opportunity for you and a challenge for you to digest, to take in one chapter a day for 31 days of the book of Proverbs. And there's several ways in which you can do that. Number one, you can just open up your Bible starting next Monday and read Rome, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter one. And then on Tuesday, read Proverbs chapter two for 31 days. Uh, the second option for you is to text the word Proverbs uh, to our church number, which I just have in my contacts. It's 647-0709. I've even got it memorized. And uh, we will send you a daily audio link to the proverb for that day. Plus, I've done 31 little uh, devotionals uh, for you that are a minute to 90 seconds long that I'd like for you to take in. So that's option number two. Option number three is really cool. We have a journal here on the book of Proverbs that has all 31 chapters and prompts for you to to journal out your thoughts and your relationship with God uh, and how it affects your life. Uh, we're doing this as our A2 group. Uh, in addition to the other two, you might want to check this out. <clears throat> For those of you who have uh, families, uh, you might want to check out this resource called Wise Up. It's an opportunity for you to gather your whole family together around the book of Proverbs and have practical discussions and things to do, ideal around the dinner table. And uh, we'd encourage you to pick up this resource. And finally, for are little ones that are just learning to read, or you have little ones that would love to sit on your lap as a parent or a grandparent and read to them. It's called Wonder and Wisdom, and uh, it covers not only Proverbs, but also uh, chapters in the book of Psalms, and a wonderful experience for your family. So online, you can check out those resources by going to westsidefamily.church slash Proverbs, but at Lenexa and Speedway, we have these resources available for you to pick up and check out and figure out how you can get a hold of them so you're ready next week. Amen? Proverbs going to be a great journey. Um, next thing I want to talk to you about is um, the, the reality that already up to this point in 2022, we've had 2,500 students and children come onto this campus. 
uh, which is absolutely amazing. And we want to just go hats off to all of our children and student ministry volunteers because uh, uh, we care deeply about equipping and training and discipling the next generation. As a matter of fact, every week we have a, a uh, West Sider of the Week, and through our series on Work Matters, we've been highlighting someone who was nominated for their exemplary uh, work uh, out in the community, out in their place of work, and this week we've decided to do someone who volunteers as their actual job uh, in our children's ministry, and so the West Art of the Week is Anita Balance. There's a picture of her. She was going to be here, so uh, but she got COVID, and so she can't be here, and so that means someone else is having to fill in for her, which leads me to my next point. We need uh, 30 uh, more volunteers for our children's ministry and 30 more volunteers for our student ministries, and uh, if you will just uh, text to our church number, 6740709, either serve kids or serve students, our team will get back with you and talk to you about the many options that are available for you. A little contribution will go a long way in building the legacy of our children and students. So let's give it up for Anita. She's probably watching online. Hope you get well, Anita. All right, you're ready to dive into the word? I believe you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we open up our, our minds and our hearts and our hands to you to receive your holy scriptures, which can be utterly counted on. And we have already predetermined before we hear it, because it comes from you, that we're going to put it into play in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. We trust you, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by his authority, all of God's people said. So today we're going to wrap up our series, Work Matters, where we have been looking at the scriptures and what the scriptures has to say about this area of our life that takes up a minimum of a third of your life and for many others, a greater portion of your life. And how do you bring God into that space? The big idea of the series is this. If you will have the courage to adopt God's point of view on how to handle work matters, then you will put yourself in the best possible position for long-term, sustainable purpose and success. So let me ask you a question. Is there anybody interested who is hearing these words, interested in long-term, sustainable purpose and success? Raise your hand. Me too. And so we peer into the word of God today uh, in the Old Testament in one of the books of the prophets. And here we're going to encounter a very inspiring character by the name of Daniel. Now, to get a setting for this particular message, uh, maybe you're not familiar with it, in the Old Testament, the primary community that is referred to is called Israel or the nation of Israel. From the time of their founding with Abraham, uh, the children or the nation of Israel have been a pretty closed community. As a matter of fact, under the leadership of Moses in the wilderness and Joshua, uh, when they entered into the promised land, God was literally at the very center of their community. 
in the form of his presence in the tabernacle in the wilderness and his presence in the temple uh, in the promised land. Everything about Israel centered around the will of God for their lives. As a matter of fact, God gave him the laws which not only influenced and guided their spiritual lives, but every aspect of their life, including their work and the economy. Now, this kind of government structure for Israel is called a theocracy. Theos meaning God, where God is the one who is governing every aspect of their life, including their work. It would be today like uh, working at Westside Family Church. It's a very, very similar experience. When you walk into this place and you're on this staff, everything centers around Jesus Christ. Our constitution, our bylaws are essentially the word of God. We begin and end every meeting in prayer. Our all-staff gatherings includes a time of about 20 minutes of worship. Every person who works here is a devoted follower of Jesus who signs a covenant that the conduct and character of their life will reflect the teachings of Scripture. Or boom, you're out of here, baby. Yeah, here's the deal. In the world, it's dog-eat-dog, but in the church, it's the other way around. (laughs) I just wanted to see if you're awake or not, okay? Yeah. And the reality is, if a church lets the principles of the world invade the church, it will look just like the world. And I'm so proud of Westside Family Church and the leadership who keeps Jesus at the very center of this place. Now, the reality is for Israel of the Old Testament, something dramatically changed in 605 B.C. A pagan nation to the east called Babylon uh, came over and sacked them, overtook them. They tore down the temple and burnt their city and took most of the residents of Jerusalem and the surrounding area of Judah and exiled them to the east to Babylon to the east and to Babylon. And the reality is they left a theocracy and now they're living in a place where God is not at the center and God does not rule. As a matter of fact, the word Babylon throughout the Bible, including the book of Revelation at the end, always refers metaphorically to a place of godlessness, of confusion, and of darkness. As a matter of fact, modern day geographical Babylon today is right between Iraq and Iran, continuing to this day to be difficult places for Jews and Christians to survive. And here's my point. It's highly likely, unless you work for Westside Family Church, that you tomorrow morning or maybe even this afternoon will go to work in Babylon or go to school tomorrow in Babylon, a place where God is not at the center of the organization. And so the question becomes, how does a Christian survive in Babylon? Well, that's what we're going to look at today through an inspiring character by the name of Daniel. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Daniel chapter 1, or you can download or open up the Westside app where the notes and the scriptures are available to you. So let's dive in immediately. Uh, I have two points I want to share with you today, and we're going to start with chapter 1 and verse 1. Okay. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what I was telling you. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then he ordered Aspenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that were to enter into the king's service. So the story, as I've told you, is pretty straightforward. Babylon is expanding her territory rapidly, and the king must enlist new individuals to come in and provide leadership for the expanding kingdom. And he wants to recruit the best and the brightest young men to enter into a three-year training program, which we might call an MBA, Masters in Babylonian Administration. Yeah. Verses 6 and 7, we discover that Daniel and his three famous friends are enlisted. The names of the three famous friends are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those of you who answered out signify that at some time in your life, you have worked in children's ministry. (laughs) Way to go. In verse 8, right at the very beginning, Daniel makes a bold, questionable move. It says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Let me read that again. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And this is what I want to recommend for you of one of two principles as you enter into Babylon tomorrow or even this afternoon. Resolve not to defile yourself. What does that mean? It means that you have come up with a list of convictions that represent your faith, and you're going to enter into Babylon maybe later today or tomorrow, and you've already made the commitment that you will not violate those convictions. You will not defile yourself regardless the cost. Now, normally, there would be little tolerance in Babylon, little Babylon, and maybe even your Babylon, for this kind of request. But in the next verse, we see that God intervened and caused the officials to show favor and compassion on Daniel. Wow. God intervened to change the heart and mindset of the officials. B-T-W. By the way, God is still intervening in your Babylon and showing up to grant favor and intervention for you. And some of you have experienced God's sightings in your Babylon. Can I have a witness? Yeah. So Daniel, here's his deal. Daniel recommended a 10-day pilot program. 
He and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would only consume water and vegetables for the 10 days while the other recruits gobbled down the king's meat and wine. Verse 15 tells us that after the 10 days, Daniel and his friends, here's the result, at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and more robust than all of the others who had been eating the royal menu. And as a result, the officials over the trainees switched everyone's diet to a vegan diet, which I'm sure did not go over very well for the meat and potato Babylonian men. Now, it is completely true that consuming water and vegetables is a healthy diet. Just the antioxidants alone and the ability of water to flush toxins out of our system alone is a wise decision. But Daniel has something way more in mind than just the uh, principles of a healthy diet. Regarding the particular meat and wine they were consuming, this is what the New International Study Bible notes says. Israelites considered food from Nebuchadnezzar's table to be contaminated because the first portion of it was offered to idols. Likewise, a portion of the wine was poured out on a pagan altar. Ceremonially unclean animals were used and neither slaughtered nor prepared according to the regulation of God's law of the Old Testament, meaning that it was not kosher. And as a result, this is a conviction that Daniel had as he entered into Babylon. And he determined, regardless, he was not going to defile himself in this way. He was going to bring his conviction with God into that place. And in the Old Testament, this was a big deal. And Daniel stood by it. I believe, as you study the whole story of Daniel, he was totally prepared to receive the full consequences for his disobedience. But in this particular case, God intervened and it worked out beautifully. Now listen to this. As it turns out, as we turn the pages to the New Testament, this requirement of the meat and the wine is no longer a requirement for followers of Jesus Christ. It's a bit of a complicated kind of thing, but essentially what happens is these these requirements were an image or a picture of Christ to come. When he died on the cross, he fulfilled the law so that New Testament believers have liberty or freedom to eat what they want. As a matter of fact, if you go to Romans chapter 12, Uh, 14 verses 1 and 2, which are in the West Side Apps, this is what the Apostle Paul says. It's interesting, okay? Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. And all the men said, amen. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. See, there's been a shift. There's been a turn. For the New Testament Christian, it is no longer a matter of right or wrong, but one of individual conviction. Stay with me. I want to explain this principle to you. If you scoot down to Romans 14, 14, Paul says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean for that person It is unclean. Let me give you an example of that. 
what it might look like. One of my favorite movies of all times is Chariots of Fire. I can actually recommend that movie beginning to end with confidence that it's not going to upset your faith. It's a true story of the 1934 Summer Olympics where Scottish Eric Little, um, a follower of Jesus Christ, is fast. Remember the line in the movie, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He was given by God the ability to run and to run fast. God instilled it in him so that when he exercised that skill, he felt the pleasure of God. He goes to the Summer Olympics only to discover that his race was on a Sunday. And he decided in his own heart not to defile himself even though he had prepared his whole life for this moment, he decided rather to drop out of the race than to defile himself and run on a Sunday. Now, here's the reality. Um, for a follower of Jesus Christ, the obligation of the law for the Sabbath, which, by the way, is Saturday and not Sunday, you are not obligated. This is why in the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus, he went overboard to do most of his healing on the Sabbath to show to the uh, religious leaders that you were not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for you. And Sabbath rest is an important deal, but the day of the week is no longer under Christ the big deal. For some of you, you have to work on Sunday. You have no choice to provide for your family. The deal of the New Testament is you don't limit your worship to God to one day a week. It's seven days a week, man. It's all your life. But for many people, like Eric Little, he was convinced in his heart that Sunday was the day. And so, therefore, in his own heart, he took that conviction and he decided not to run. And God intervened true story, and provided a way for him to run on a different day than Sunday. And when he ran and felt God's pleasure, he won the gold medal. The same thing is true of Chick-fil-A. Same exact <laughs> principle, right? I mean, they are closed on Sunday, right? But every other day of the week, whose line is off the street? The managers are out in the street trying to direct traffic while all the other restaurants, well, they've got room. Because they were convicted in their heart not to open up on Sundays. So employees, many of which I see at Chick-fil-A on 87th Street. Yeah, I saw Diebel's daughter there the other day. Man, she was serving me and she said, it's my pleasure. Yeah, you know, some of you have to uh, work on a Sunday. But at Chick-fil-A, they wanted to provide an opportunity for the thousands of employees to worship on a Sunday. Listen to this. God has intervened. And even though they're only open six days a week, their annual revenues went up during COVID from $13 billion a year to $17 billion a year. And I believe it's because they... Uh, would not defile themselves in something that was important to them. Let me read it specifically to you in Romans 14.5. Paul says, One per person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So you need to develop a list of things that are important to you 
Some of them are black and white in the scriptures, and some are just a matter of preference. But if it is a matter of preference in your spirit, then it becomes a conviction, and you are obligated by God to bring that conviction into your Babylon. Let me give you one other example, and that is the Green family who own Hobby Lobby, another group of people who decided that they were not going to be open on a Sunday. But there's even greater depth to their story. You may recall... Several years ago, when Obamacare came out, that companies were required by law to provide Obamacare insurance to all of their employees, Hobby Lobby looked into the insurance that was provided and discovered that there were four drugs that could be used to take the life of a baby, and therefore it was against the convictions of the owners of Hobby Lobby, the the Green family, that they should not defile themselves in this way and decided not to take on Obamacare for that reason. Well, the government didn't like that and decided that they were going to penalize them if they did not comply $1.3 million a day. Yeah. And so Hobby Lobby sued the government And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it was coming down and not looking very good for Hobby Lobby and David Green and his two sons, Steve and Mart, of which Mart is a very, very close friend of mine, uh, gathered together. I just talked to them this week, and he reiterated the story to me. Uh, They they got, uh, I have 35 members of the Green family, and uh, David Green got 22 of them, 16 years old and up, together and said, we have a decision to make. We must be unified as a family. If we hold our line and not defile ourselves in this way, it is highly likely come Monday morning, we're going to start being fined $1.3 million a day. And our financial advisors have given us the date by which we will actually go out of business. We will go bankrupt. And this was uh, in the midweek And David Green started with the 16-year-old. And he said, what say you? And the 16-year-old said, we have already made this decision. We will not comply. And this is not our problem. This is God's problem because it's his business. All he asks us to do is to be faithful with his word. And if we go bankrupt, we do so honoring God. And they went through all 22 members of the family, and all 22 were unanimous. On Monday, they were going to begin to get fined. On Friday, the Supreme Court decided to make a decision, and they won. Five to four. And listen to this. Today, they are still moving on. They're still going on. They are a $5 billion business today, employing gainfully 43,000 employees. And they decided another thing. They were going to try to outgive God. They said no one's ever tried. And so they started to, they gave a six-figure gift. And every six months, they doubled it. And they've been doing that now for 18 years. And God continued to grow their business where today they give 50% of their profits away to Christian causes. Man, does that not inspire the socks off of you? Okay, okay. so let's move to the second principle. Uh, and I've got to cover it kind of quickly uh, because it's kind of counterbalances. So let's look at verse 17 of Daniel chapter, 
chapter 1. God gave these four men knowledge and skill in both books and life. In addition, Daniel was gifted in understanding all sorts of visions and dreams. By the end of the time set by the king for their training, the head of the royal staff brought them into Nebuchadnezzar. When the king interviewed them, he found them, that is, Daniel and his three friends, far superior to all the other young men. None were a match for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. And so they took their place in the king's service. Whenever the king consulted them on anything, on books or on life, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his kingdom put together. Daniel continued in the king's service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. A couple of observations. Number one, I want you to know that it was God who instilled the knowledge and the skill to do what these young men did. That they were incapable of what they were doing apart from God deciding through his sovereign will to insert within them the knowledge and the skills that they have. And the same thing is true for all of us. What you are able to do now, the specific knowledge you have and the skill that you have, many of you, the best in your field, the reason you're able to do it is because God gave it to you. And that's why every Sunday or whatever day you worship, you should come in and one of the aspects of your worship should be to lift your hand to God and to thank him that he has given you knowledge and skill to do what you do to provide for your family and to help other people, to worship him for what he has given you. Amen? Second observation is the things said about these men. He found them far superior. None were a match for. He found them 10 times better than all of them put together. Principle number two, be the best. Be the best. To have a list of convictions and yet be the low producer or even just average will not work. But add to your convictions excellence and you have something huge. A biblical principle is do the most what you do the best. You know, um, some of you think I live here because you only ever see me when I'm here, like Quasimodo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. But the reality is I get out every now and again. And sometimes people will recognize me, like Miss Diebel, who I see right there. Yeah, it's my pleasure to preach to you today. Um, uh, They'll say, oh, you're one of the pastors at Westside. So-and-so are members of your church, and they work at our company. I'm like, okay, and what are you going to say next? And without exception, 100% of the time, they have said, and they are the best workers we have. And it makes me proud as a peacock. It makes me feel that maybe my teaching is rubbing off on you, and you should consider giving a portion of your year-end bonus to me. Here's what I want to say. You represent Jesus in Babylon. Represent him through your conviction, 
coupled with your excellence. Because if they experience your excellence, they will, may, they will pay more attention to your conviction. And they just might be drawn closer to the God who is pursuing them. Like Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you are a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo paints. I've told you a couple of times about the relationship that I've had with my father-in-law. I first met this Italian man when I was 15 years old. And uh, I would go over his house. I would sit at church with him. I started dating his daughter. And we hung out a lot together. And uh, Al Batanti, from the age of 15, has been a spiritual father to me. He's mentored me on what it is to be a man. He's mentored me on what it means to be a husband and a father. He's mentored me on how to live out the fruit of the Spirit in whatever domain of life you find yourself in. And very seldom did he do it by speaking words. I just simply watched him. I watched him. One of the stories that he told me was when he was a young man, he was working at a grocery store in Cleveland, Ohio, for another Italian man. Cleveland has a lot of Italians. And um, the owner of the store came to him because this was back in the day when uh, you had to weigh your produce and you had to weigh your nuts, you know, and the, and the fruits and nuts that you were... And he told my father-in-law, just a young man, to put extra weights... On the, on, the, on the machine so that the customer would end up paying more and they would never know the difference. My father-in-law, as a follower of Jesus Christ, even as a young man, determined that he would not defile himself in this way and was prepared for the full consequences of losing his job. And so he looked for another job and got an interview that was to take place on a Friday. So he went to his boss and asked for some time off. His boss asked him, why are you wanting time off? My father-in-law, a straight shooter, said, because I have an interview for another job at another grocery store, to which the owner of the grocery store said, are you not happy here? To which my father-in-law shot it straight to him, knowing that this would likely cost him his job. And he said, I can't do what you've asked me to do. And then he told his boss a story. He said, just the other day, my shoelaces broke, and I went over to the display, and I got shoelaces to fix my shoes, and I immediately came back and put the full price of the shoelaces, 10 cents, which tells you how long ago it was. He was born in 1928. I put it back into the cash register immediately. The same, for the same reason, I will not cheat you I will not cheat the customers that you serve. And because my father-in-law was the best employee this guy ever had, the boss said, forget I ever told you that. You don't ever have to do that. Forget it, forget it. Will you cancel your interview? And my father-in-law says, yes, if you promise. My father-in-law canceled the interview, and the owner said, are we good? 
He needed to be good with my father-in-law. He decided not to defile himself, and God intervened. A few years later, that young Italian man went on to buy that store and was an extremely successful entrepreneur. And he sold that store at the age of 55. Two weeks ago, when I was up here teaching, um, I got word that my father-in-law was in the hospital and that he was on his last lap. Follower of Jesus, he was ready to see him. And uh, Roseanne took off, and then this last Saturday, I stood up with great honor, and I did the memorial service for my spiritual mentor, who I have lost. The last time I visited him, one of the things that happened was he, is that he started to cry. I said, why are you crying? And he said, I'm ready to see Jesus, 94 years old. He said, but I really prayed that my wife of 68 years, that she would die first. I said, Papa, <laughs> wow, that doesn't sound like you, man. And then he told me, he said, um, this is true. He said, no one knows how to take care of her like I do. I have a picture. If you follow me on Instagram, you saw it. Where grandma is standing at the casket of her husband of 68 years. And if you could have heard what she said. It's a spiritual mentor who showed me the way. In all of our houses, we have a, a picture of Papa when he was a young man. And he's holding up a little girl on his hand. We have a picture of it right there. I think he liked the picture because he was ripped, man. <laughs> but the little girl he's holding up is my wife. And I have that picture in my house because it represents a man who knew how to hold up his family and to not defile himself. And today, that man is with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. As we enter into a time of worship, I'm going to ask you uh, two questions. Number one, if it is your intent as a follower of Jesus Christ not to defile yourself in your Babylon, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Secondly, if it is your intent to be the very best, keep your hands raised. If it's your intent to be the very best, then I'm going to ask you to raise your other hand. Keep them raised as I pray for you. Father, before you are Daniel's, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's of 2022, whose hands are lifted to you as a decision that they will not defile themselves but to live with great conviction from the principles of your word. And the other hand is raised as a commitment to acknowledge that whatever knowledge they have, whatever skill they have, it has been given to them by you. And in this moment, in this hour, they worship you and they praise you for giving it to them. And now they're committed to bring the very best to Babylon. And as we enter into a time of worship, I ask that you would infuse them with your courage and with your strength as they enter into Babylon in service of the King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. Receive now our worship from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.